I was at the Whitehall Baptist Church uh, yesterday afternoon with just eight other uh, church pastors and a handful of other people. We met three politicians. Now, next Tuesday night is the Republican and the Democratic uh, uh, primary voting time. Now, you need to be registered, obviously, in order to vote. And uh, folks, you folks that are here, and let me get very serious, I thought I had a great war story. Uh, I met Tim Herps yesterday. Uh, he's running one of the five candidates running for a Republican governor, and a real nice guy. Spent several minutes talking to him yesterday. Of course, he's been mayor of Trumbull for eight years. And uh, he mentioned about the motor vehicles. Well, he, little did he know that I just got done with three hour and 15 minute uh, uh, three hour and 15 minutes on Thursday afternoon. I thought I had the war story. Now I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm calmed down. The tea kettle was, I mean, I was over, I was boiling over. I mean, I was, I was, I lost my Christianity. I'm going to tell you right now. I had to keep my, don't say a word. Just answer the question. Yes, no. Just, just walk. I walked out of the motor vehicles three hours and 15 minutes later. Nothing accomplished. I failed in my mission. I thought I had the great war strike. And then Pastor Townsley told me, he says, well, I, got, I can beat you. I was in more motor vehicles on Friday for four hours. And so then Tim Herbston mentioned it. And, and uh, now I can say it with a half jest, but it's really, sad, sadly, it's not funny, really. It's not funny at all. People have to spend their whole day to do simple business, simple tasks. And I could spend the rest of the time just explaining to you the, the deplorable conditions of our government. Uh, I'll just say this. We're $100 billion and counting and that's conservative estimates, $100 billion and counting of uh, unfunded pension payroll, pension fund money in our state. We're, let me just make it real simple. I can simplify it in two words. We're broke. We're bankrupt. Now, you folks that might be here and say, well, it doesn't matter to me. Yes, it does. It's your future. And it's, uh, in Connecticut, we're being destroyed, and that's why our people are moving away, and that's why some of you are thinking about moving away, because this state is is in deep crisis, major, major crisis. And pardon me for getting serious, but, but anyhow, I met five, or I met, uh, um, there's five Republican candidates running for the governorship, and there's a glimmer of hope, just for the record. Uh, I talked to Herbst, and that's Tim Herbst, and, uh, you know, we never thought, and he gave me, and Craig Spring came down with us as well, and Craig was uh, machine gun spring. I tell you, he was, he was firing the questions and uh, good questions and good comments, of course. But uh, the, uh, we're, we're deep blue. And Herbst said, no, 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 we're, we're turning purple. Now, some of you don't know that language, but I said, well, what are you? I wanted to get fresh and smart, Alec. I said, no, no, we're, we're as blue as they come. And, uh, but, you know, the Senate right now is 18 Republicans, 18 Democrats. The House, we are only five seats away in the House from the first time in modern history, in, in my lifetime, in my tenure in Connecticut, 35 years or thereabouts, 34 years. And uh, we're about ready. We have the opportunity to have a Republican House, Senate, and a, and a governor. That's never happened in my lifetime of being here, of course. And, and uh, we need to have that. I'm just telling you right now, we're so far in hock. It's, we, 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 the goal is to spend, uh, and one of the, well, it was Herbst that said this, we also heard Art Linnaeus, 
uh, just so you understand what's happening. The goal is we think we can tax the rich man, the billionaire, more in Connecticut and therefore get more money out of the billionaires and they'll take care of us. That's why five billionaires left, to, uh, left Connecticut, which pay a large percentage of the taxes in the state. And we tax them so much that they leave our state. And then what do we get from them? Nothing. And so they really we need to reduce the taxes on the rich and increase the taxes on the poor. Now that would get me elected as a politician right there, wouldn't it? But I mean, it should be the other way around, but now, pardon me, now I'm getting a little facetious with you, but I'm also being truthful. But, uh, but anyhow, let me get to the punchline here and move on to our message. Uh, I did speak with uh, Tim Herbst. I really liked him. Uh, I was, uh, I'm torn whether I'm going to be voting for uh, Bob Stefanowski or, or Tim Herbst. Neither of them are perfect candidates. In fact, there's not a perfect candidate in the whole mess. They're, they're, all, they're all flawed in their, their, uh, where they're at, of course, and, uh, but uh, Stefanowski did a lot of attack ads going against him, and, and uh, my fear is that uh, Bowden is going to, that's the, the gubernatorial uh, candidate for the Republican Party. He's, uh, he's a rhino, if you know what a rhino is, and he's going to get in, and it's going to be the four lower guys that are going to, their votes are going to be chewed up. Now, let me just explain something to you. There's only about 80,000 people in the Republican Party that vote in the state of Connecticut in the primary, 80,000 people. Now, you spread that over five different candidates. We're talking that a candidate is probably going to win with 20,000 votes. Our independent Baptist churches alone, and it's going to be close. I'll give you one for example. I remember telling Rich and Karen Kerry Savatsky, true story. Got home, and he would have probably done it anyhow, but he got home from work late from Enfield. It was Tuesday night, a voting night, and I says, you need to get down to New Hartford and vote. He was tired, and she was tired, but they got up, got up, and before the polls called, they went and voted. If you recall, about eight years ago, the, the first selectman, i.e. the mayor of New Hartford, was elected by one vote. And I said, see, you got to the polls, like 642 to 643. And their vote, everybody's vote, made the difference. One vote. This is a, this is a, we have an opportunity before us, and I, I left off my thought process, rather, or my comments with Herbst, that he said, we are closer than ever before to doing something in the state, something tantamount to what took place in November of 2016 in that miracle night of uh, the presidential election. No one gave Mr. Trump a hope. And uh, uh, we are so much better off. We have no idea wh where we would be uh, if, uh, if God's people didn't pray and go to the polls. So I want to encourage you. Uh, I say, who, preacher, who are you voting for? Uh, my, my recommendation is that we coalesce with other like-minded people. and We vote for the candidate that has the greatest chance of beating Mark Bowden. I'll be very frank with you. And I don't know if that's Herbst or Stefanowski. Pastor Townsley is keeping tabs of the daily poll, polls. And uh, he is torn as well himself. Those are the two prime candidates in our mind. There's two other good guys there as well. And uh, I met Steve Upsitnik, nice guy, great guy. And he's on the Republican ticket as well, of course. And uh, uh, then, of course, there's Stemmerman. And uh, you can have your own opinion of Stemmerman. He says a lot of good things, of course. And I'd take any one of those four over. Uh, but as soon as I know who I'm going to vote for, if you'd like to ask me who I'm voting for, I'd be glad to tell you, of course. So uh, you know, you've got nine days before the... But I want to encourage you to get, uh, get out and... Uh, get uh, registered if you're not registered. 
Uh, Art Linnaeus, I met Art Linnaeus, he's running for state uh, treasurer. I did not know how much state treasurer does. They, they're in charge of hundreds of, or, or uh, I think a 30-some billion dollar trust fund in Connecticut. That's a lot of money to be trusted with. And they invest that money in, uh, we had one of our, uh, maybe somebody can help me here, uh, one of the, uh, who's it, Susan Bicewicz? Invested $100 million of our taxpayer money into Michael G Mike, uh, Magic Johnson. Is that, am I correct with that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think I'm correct with that. I was some famous sports star into a, a, a real estate endeavor that went belly up. And, uh, and uh, so they're in bed, pardon the language, they're in bed with Hollywood celebrity people and uh, risking our money in a, a super flourish in a crazy way. And we've lost a lot of that money. And uh, so some state treasurer has a very important job of investing our monies properly. So Art Linnaeus is sharp, young, conservative, 29-year-old conservative, he's got my vote. And then, then Joe Markley has got my vote for the, uh, for the most conservative of the uh, lieutenant governor races. And there's several running on the Republican ticket. And uh, I'm not telling you who you should vote for, I'm telling you who, I, or you, who, you should, who you're supposed to vote for, I'm telling you who I think it would be a smart idea if you voted for. And so you, uh, you take it for what it's worth, if you will, please. And then, all right, Exodus chapter 20 tonight here. Uh, serious subject again tonight. It was a serious subject this morning. Let's see if we can quote our Bible verse from our scripture from this morning without looking. 1 John 5, 21. Ready? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. One more time. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, with that said, we would like to read the first six, first six verses of some archaic words, and I'm being facetious again, of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. Let's stand together. Let's read all six verses of the first uh, six verses of the, the chapter, and allow me to read verses 1, 3, and 5. Would we read, would we please, in unison, verses 2, 4, and 6? And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. We want to preach on this subject this morning, or this evening rather, from verse number four, and uh, no other image, no graven images. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, now speak to our heart through your word, this Old Testament scripture, and other scriptures found in the Old Testament. And Lord, we're, we claim to be New Testament Christians, and that we are. But Lord, we believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. And Lord, we're under grace, but we thank God for your laws that you've given to us. And I pray that you would bless, dear God, as we examine this truth, this age-old truth, that Lord, the abomination of imagery or idol worship in the New Testament and Old Testament. Well, thank you for it. I pray you bless in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, if you will. Verses 1 and 2, verse 2 particularly, we see the first commandment, as we know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This commandment refers, we see the, the, the principles of, that this commandment teaches, that is simply this, that he is to be, God is to be our only object of worship. 
Secondly, he's our absolute and final authority. And thirdly, he's to be the supreme being in our hearts. And we touched on all those things this morning. And then I want you to consider, if you will, the, uh, the parting from this commandment. I'm talking about the first commandment. That is placing any other God in your life uh, over the God of the Bible, the one true God who is, we saw this morning in 1 John 5.20, this is Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. Putting anybody else over him is idolatry. And so we see this, as we mentioned this morning as well, in just way of review, that as verses 20 and 21 of 1 John 5 are connected, so likewise, the first commandment and the second commandment in the Decalogue, in the, the, this uh, Ten Commandments, they're inseparably separably connected. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is the commandment of uh, falsely worshiping, or rather foolishly worshiping a false god. The second commandment, and this is the one we're going to look at tonight, is forbids, the, forbids worshiping the true God in a false manner. So the first commandment is forbids worshiping another God. The second commandment, that of idolatry, forbids worshiping the true God in a false manner. So the second commandment is a specific injunction against the bowing down, worshiping, adoring, or of any other man-made image as as uh, representative of God or of any other God. There is no listed, there is no sin listed in the word of God which is the Lord hates more than the sin of idolatry. God, I said this morning, I'll say it again. God hates idolaters. And incidentally, idolaters hate God. We quoted Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters shall have their part in the lake which burneth through fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They will not turn to God. Revelation 22 and verse 15 says, For without, without the fold of God, in other words, are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. Those who choose the path of idolatry and cling to their image worship, the Lord equates as hardened rebels. In 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible says there, Samuel speaking to Saul, he says, For rebellion is as, sin as, as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. God puts a high stake or a high, uh, he, uh, high uh, he calls it a high abomination to be guilty of adultery. Sinaiticus called the devil a rejoicer at idols, quote, because the image worshiper helps to fill hell. Think how many, and I gave the illustration in the 815 service, I missed it in the 1030 service, but there's a country across the way, Pastor Parmar's not here tonight, but there's 1.1 billion, I believe it is, now Indians in a land about the size of one-third of the United States. 85% of those Indians are of Hindu origin. I made the... I gave the illustration in 815 service this morning when I was over in India about 30 years ago now. We had an opportunity. There was a Hindu uh, ziggurat, um, uh, like a pyramid. Uh, I mean, 
oh, 15 stories high. It was phenomenal. It was incredible. Thousands of gods and goddesses all around it. And it was, it was actually very grotesque, but very intriguing. And they were paying for, you could pay and uh, get a tour of this place. And here I am, a young preacher and so forth. I'm with five other preachers. And they're like, oh, hey. And I said, I said let's, let's, let's go in there. Let's see this place. And one of the preachers said, turned to me and said, uh, Marty, uh, I don't think so. And it dawned on me so what I said I, in my overzealousness and my you know, wanting to see the world, you know. I said, let's go. And I, I said, oh, oh, yeah. I guess we're not going to go see that. And uh, the demons and, de- de- demons and gods and goddesses. But God hates the billions of people that are worshiping the some 30,000 primary gods of the Hindu religion or the, uh, the gods in the name of so-called Christianity that are filling hell with idolaters. Psalm 106, verse 36 and 37 says this, And they served their idols, speaking about Israel, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They served their idols, but they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils. No, they were sacrificing their sons and daughters unto idols, but the God makes it tantamount with serving devils. That's how serious this is. And so here's the message tonight back in Exodus 20, verses 4, 5, and 6, a three-point outline, just two words each. For it's, uh, We want to look at verse 4, the solemn command. Verse 5, the fearful fret. And verse 6, the gracious promise. First of all, the fearful or the solemn command, verse 4. Notice it with me once again. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. The solemn command. Let's, let's do some old-fashioned Bible turning. We've gotten away from this, in our, even in our church, and I apologize for that. But take your Bible and turn to Leviticus. Let's look at several verses in the Old Testament quickly here and get used to turning your pages. Leviticus 26, please. We put it on the screen, or we just I quoted to you, but let's instead turn in our Bible and read the verses for ourselves. Leviticus 26, verse 1. If you have it with me there, we read it together. Ready? Here we go. Ye shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Turn over, if you would please, to Deuteronomy 16. Let's go to Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16, verses 21 and 22. Give you an extra moment to get there. Let me read verse 20 and then, or verse 21, you read 22 with me, please. Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. And so God makes it very explicit. When I was in Israel, we were in, uh, <coughs> excuse me. We were in the ruins of uh, some of the archaeological finds of the, the uh, city of Dan up in the northern way north or about, oh, I think it's about 15 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And there we went to the uh, place where they had the, uh, they had the grove, where they believe the grove was, and it was at the highest part of the, the excavation, of course. And they would, it would be the city park, the groves, 
And there they would say it was inconvenient for them to go to all the way to Jerusalem and worship. They set up their own. We see this all the way through the Old Testament with the apostasy of the children of Israel. They set up these own, their own places of worship to God in their own, their own groves and their own uh, uh, city parks, if you will. Just small area. It wasn't a big area. It was probably even less than the size of this room here, the excavation part. But it's where they would go and worship God, the God of their choosing, the God that they felt how they wanted to worship him, the God of their idle minds. And so, I'm going to turn to Psalm 97. Look at this verse here, Psalm 97, verse number 7, quickly here. The solemn command, God makes it very explicit. And I'm just picking out three verses of, of scores that we could look at, there's no doubt. But Psalm 97... I have to turn myself here, and I don't have it marked myself, so you might get there before I will. And Psalm 97 and verse number 7. Confounded be all ye, or all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols, uh, worship him as uh, all ye gods. And so God says he'll confound... Confounded be all those that serve graven images. And so who are, who were the violators of the second uh, eternal commandment of God found in Exodus 20 and verse number four, of course, this admonition or this command not to bow down to any graven image. Well, certainly Israel themselves, for 1,300 years they were guilty of this sin. But I'm going to tell you, when we fast forward today, there's another church, not the Hindu religion, but another church of nearly a billion or at least 750 million or so adherents to it. Of course, I'm referring to the Roman church. It was full of idolatry and image worship. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher of the 17th century, wrote these words concerning the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome is reproved and condemned, which is from the alpha of its religion to the omega is wholly idolatrous. Romanists make images of, their, of God the Father, painting them in their church windows as an old man and, as, and an image of Christ on, a cruci on the crucifix. And because it is, again, the letter of this commandment, they sacrilegiously blot it out of their catechism and divide the Tenth Commandment into two. Now, by the way, let me translate that before I read on. You see, the Ten Commandments said it was on the courthouse walls and plaques still in America, throughout America, and the, the Ten Commandments that we, we understand and we see in Exodus 20. The Roman church, the Catholic church, has uh, married the two, the first and second commandment, put it all in one commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and they divide the tenth commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, they divide it into two separate commandments. That's how they get away with their idolatry. Thomas goes on to say, Thomas Watson, this is, for, Papa, for Papas to say that they make use of an image to put them in mind of God is as if a woman should say she keeps company with another man to put her in mind of her husband. That's powerful. Image worship must needs be very impious and blasphemous because it is giving the religious worship to the creature which is only due to God. And so turn, if you would please, uh, Isaiah 46 and look at verses 5 through 7. God condemns, so what I'm trying to lay a case work here as we look at this verse 4, that God adamantly condemns 
idolatry in the Old Testament and had brought Israel into captivity and destroyed their nation for 2,500 years. They were, they, we looked at the verse this morning, they learned, the Bible says, learn not the way of the heathen. And we read from Jeremiah 10, verses 2 through 10, and it's very important that you look at that, and God makes it very explicitly clear. Do not make any graven image of wood or of stone. Don't bow down to it. Don't worship it of any saint or icon. Or, uh, don't do it. God's, God's word says so. Now, Isaiah 45, or 46, excuse me, verses 5 through 7. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like the eternal God of heaven the, is saying, who are you going to compare me to? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a God. They fall down. Yea, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him. They set him in his place. And he standeth from his place shall he not be he shall uh, shall he not remove, yea one shall cry unto him yet cannot he answer nor save him out of his trouble. Again, scores of verses that teach the condemnation of idolatry or idol making. Right, Habakkuk chapter two, go there please. Uh, Habakkuk, let's see where's Habakkuk at? Habakkuk Sephaniah, let's see here. Nahum, I have to look myself here. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Obadiah, Jonah, or Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Am I helping you or am I hurting you? <laughs> Habakkuk, Habakkuk, there I found it. Habakkuk 2, verse 18 and 19. Here's a woe. Watch out for the woes in the word of God, W-O-E. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the, the midst of it. Uh, verse number 18, I should have read that. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies, that, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. We saw this morning that Paul admonished the, the Christians at, uh, I think it was at Thessalonica, not to be carried away with these dumb idols. Or maybe it was in Corinth, I guess, come to think of it. So we ask, who are the violators of this eternal commandment? Well, the first violators were the Israel themselves, and then other religions down through the centuries have followed suit and made their own idols and gods and goddesses. I ask a second question in regards to this. Solemn command, why no image making? Why can't we do this? Why can't we make images? Let me, let me spell out here, and by the way, there's reasons why. Uh, well, let me get very, very blunt with you, or very, uh, you know, you might have these questions. Uh, nativity sets. We have a couple of nativity sets. Sometimes we put them up, sometimes we don't put them up. I, they're, they're pictures of... Uh, of uh, of uh, remind us of the nativity, of course. Some Christians are against that, and I respect that, by the way. When I was in Israel, I'll give you for example. When you go, when, when Karen and Bonnie, when you go to Israel, you will go to the hotels, and you will walk through the hotel, and you'll say, this hotel's half finished, because you're going to see picture frames with no pictures in it. Why? Thou shalt not make any of the engraved images. They, they take the word of God literally. They, 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 they paid the price for not taking it literally. 
And now they're very careful in their own way to make sure they worship only one true God and they make no image. You see, why no image making? Well, two reasons, just quickly. Because to make a true image of God is impossible. John 5, 24, 4, 24. Uh, they that worship the Lord must worship, or God is a what? Help me out. God is a what? Spirit. And they that worship him must what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, let's, well I'm, I'm digging. This is not part of my message. It just popped in my head. For years, now I've seen it now. In fact, I think I've seen it twice now. I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out. A lot of you probably saw that. I, I chose not to see it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't condemn you for seeing it. But I, I had read uh, a book on the Ten Commandments. This is 30 years ago now, probably. And I read a great treatise from a Puritan of, or in fact, it was from Thomas Watson, who I just quoted. And he gave a great treatise on why we make no image of God because that, that is who we visualize when we see God in our mind. And whoever that actor was, I could be wrong on this. I, I, somebody, I, I think uh, he was in some, uh, uh, what's the word, rather, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a nicer word than filthy movies. He portrayed some filthy, uh, some godless uh, he was other characters, and he played Christ. And we put that in our head. And uh, now I could be wrong. I, you know, I mean, I, I heard that he's a Christian, and maybe he is. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about him. But the Christ that I serve, I didn't want to see the movie because the Christ that I serve, I see him in my mind's eye. I don't know what he looks like, per se, but I have my own, my, my, my mind is colored by the word of God. That's how my mind is, is, is uh, when, when I visualize Christ on the cross for my sins. I really don't see a face, to be honest with you. And I, I see a face that's bloody and marred more than any man. I, I think we need to be careful. I think we need to see these injunctions and say, well, preacher, that's getting legalistic. No. God says, I hate idolatry. That's why we don't have crucifixes in our church. To make another image of God is, is unlawful. I mean, God's word is very clear about this. Does a man seek to please God by willfully violating his word? Well, I don't care, God, what you say. I'm going to make an image of who I think you look like anyhow. And uh, I know we could delve into this even further and deeper. And, uh, but my mind wants to be, when I see my Jesus, when I see my Heavenly Father, I want to see him through the eye lenses of the Spirit of God as he is revealed in the Word of God. And so we see this solemn command. God, God takes it very seriously. You say, preacher, you're straining the point. No, I'm not. I'm not probably straining it enough. God says, thou shalt make unto thee no graven image. Period. End of story. What part of the commandment don't you understand? What part do you want to violate? You say, well, we're under grace. Well, isn't that sweet? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Pardon me for getting a little facetious. And so the fearful, the solemn command, then number two, verse number five, back to quickly to, to, to Exodus 20, and verse five. One more time, verse four. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth, under, under the earth. Verse five, notice now the fearful fret. Here's why. 
Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Notice the fearful fret. God says, first of all, I am a jealous God. God's a jealous God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Zechariah. That's right before Malachi. which is right before, before Matthew. And for you Italians, that's Malachi, of course, as you know. But go to Zechariah in chapter 1. And I have to turn there the old-fashioned way myself here and find it. Zechariah chapter 1. Zephaniah, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, Malachi. Zechariah 1. God's a jealous God in a good sense. God is a jealous God for his people. Look at Zechariah 1.14. So the angel that commanded or communed with me said unto me, Cry not, or cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am, a jeal- I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. He, he, he loves us. He lusts for us. A, we always use that word in a negative context, but he's, he, wants our, he wants our undivided love and our adoration and our worship. And look what he says, verse 15, and I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. God's jealous, first of all, for his people in a good sense, but in a bad sense, God is jealous of his people. He cannot bear a rival. Idolatry is spiritual adultery is what idolatry is. Where we commit spiritual adultery. And we, we imagine and we think of the God of our own mindset. It's important. Let me, let me just say it this way. It's really important that we, we just saturate our mind with the Word of God. It's very important that we get the Word of God in our hearts and lives. That way we can visualize and view God in a proper biblical perspective. Without that, we are left to think of God as the God of our own vain imaginations. And uh, our foolish heart will be darkened. And so we see this fearful fret. He's a jealous God, but not only that, back to Exodus 20, you need not turn there, but it says this is the iniquity uh, upon the, the, the fathers, well, I can't quote it all of a sudden here, so let me read it. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Turn to Deuteronomy 13. This is very important. Deuteronomy 13. And, and let's, I know we live under grace. I get it. I know we're in this so-called dispensation of grace, and I believe that. But I also know that the sins of the father are passed down to the sins of the children. How many people are there that have, uh, how many ADD kids, how many kids are there that have problems, uh, physical problems, because mom and dad was a drug addict? How many people have, you know, you've heard of crack babies? How many people, because of their generational upbringing, their offspring, or their father, I know... I know some people that breaks my heart. I've told Sonny and I, Sonny and I have talked about this many times. I've been so blessed. My dad was not a saved man, as I've said a hundred times from this pulpit, a thousand times maybe. But my dad, somehow, he had a lot of flaws, but he went to work. My dad took care of five kids and a mother, and a wife, rather, I should say. He wasn't perfect, but I, I at least had a father. And I have a mother and father that are together after 16, nearly one years of marriage. 
I have a great heritage. Sonny's mom and dad died 15, nearly 20 years ago. Her mom and dad, a number 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was now. She had a great heritage, great Christian heritage. They weren't perfect. Mom and dad sure weren't perfect. My mom and dad were not perfect, but I had, I had much more going for me than, and let me just say this way, as a pastor, I see folks that never had, and some of you in this room, maybe never had a mom or a dad that loved you. Maybe had a grandparent and so forth. And, and life got started off on a tough, uh, uh, tough sledding early on. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There's hope, my friend. I wanted to give you hope about that. But look at Deuteronomy 16 quickly. Or 13, I said 13. We never looked at the verses. Verses 6 to 10, let me read quickly. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nay, uh, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, Neither shalt thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. But thou shalt surely, now this is Old Testament here, and we're not under Old Testament. There'd be a lot of killing going on if there was. Thou shalt surely kill him, thine hands shall be first put, put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the, hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die because that he sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God hates idolatry. He hates it so much in the Old Testament. He says, if anybody tries to pull you away to another God, kill him! Capital punishment. Pretty serious business. And so I think of how many parents in this so-called age of grace in 2018 and prior, prior years have caused their children to go whoring after other gods. And how many parents have damned their children to a life of idolatry? And I gave a list this morning here, and I'll just rapid fire it through again. We teach our kids, uh, the, we teach our kids the importance of the God of money. It's all about money. Money, 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 I think the song says. Covetousness, which is the root of idolatry. Get a good job. Go to college. Yeah, you're going to go make money. So first of all, what you do first is you rack up yearly $50,000, $60,000 of college debt for four years. Do that first so you get a $240,000 student loan from the government so you can pay it back at low interest. It's free money. And then you hope that somebody else pays it off, that you default. And No, it doesn't work that way, but it does work that way. We teach our kids that going after the almighty dollar is... And I'm not just talking to kids, by the way. A lot of preaching could go on here. But most people that need to hear this are probably not here tonight in the house of God because they're too busy doing other things that need to be done. They're chasing after the God of money or the, maybe the God of education, as we looked at last this morning. I don't get it. Let me just meddle for a minute here. I don't get it. Why do we send our kids off to these hellish schools at $60,000 a year so we can destroy them, so we can destroy their faith, and we pay for it. And then you pay for it for the rest of your life if your kid has no desire to live for the Lord. Now that's good preaching. Thank you, Marty Schott. I'll take my pat on the back right now. The God of education. 
I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And you know what? It just popped in my head. I just, I'm going to meddle a little bit further. Some of the worst places our kids can go are these so-called, and ask me afterwards, I might let you know, tip you off here, these so-called Christian colleges. These kids, I know some Christian colleges that kids go off to these Christian colleges. They never come back to the house of God. Not this type of house of God. They go to a they go to contemporary one-hour-a-week Sunday morning entertain me, make me feel good church. That's where they go. And again, that's good preaching if I don't say so myself. The God of education, the God of, God of, God of money, the gods of sports, we damn our kids, we think the ticket out to, uh, to, 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 to grandeur, to, uh, to success is on the gridiron or on this, uh, the ball field or on the, in the, on the ball court. The gods of sports, the gods of fame and gods of popularity. The gods of apathy and self-centeredness. Another time, another message, but I'm just going to say, I, and I, you know, I feel, sometimes I feel bad, and I thank God for some millennials that are, are living for the Lord. God bless you. But this, we have an apathy. We have a self-centeredness. It's all about me. I see the toys these kids got today. It's like unbelievable. I remember, I mean, there was no such invention. When these little kids, these four-year-old kids, are going around electric cars. They get their own automobile at four years old. My automobile, I'm not making this up. I just thought of it, it just popped in my head. Dad made us an automobile. We watched the Flintstones, and so he got two, two uh, uh, he got, a, got a, a tile pipe about this long, two tile pipes, and we put a board across it and a seat on it. And it didn't move, but we sat there. We had a Flintstones car. That was my car. I'm not joking. I'm serious as a heart attack. I mean, we, made, we built forts out of wood. Now they got forts on, they do on this. Oh, getting off on idols. A lot of truth, though. The Bible says, and you need not turn there, I have it written down for you, Second Chronicles 25, 4. But every man shall be die for his own sin. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. But I want you to know, back to Deuteronomy 13, there is, we, you do reap what you sow. There is law of sowing and reaping. There is something called DNA. There is something called, we'll train up a child in the way he should go, and we will not depart from it. But we train a child wrong, and they're going to go wrong. Son can catch a hereditary disease of his father or his mother, so the father's sins can ruin the child. How many fathers, I remember the commercial of when a young, young person of, uh, there's a commercial of dad sitting down at the oak tree. How many remember this commercial? And uh, he picks up the pack of cigarettes and his five-year-old son is sitting right next to him. He picks up the pack of cigarettes, he puts it in his mouth, he lights it. And the whole commercial, I think, has four words. Like father, the little boy looks up at daddy, like son, I'm glad I didn't follow. Be careful here. I'm glad I didn't follow in my father's footsteps in my early days in regards to some of those things. My brothers did. I don't know how my brothers are alive today at 57 and 55. They're 57 and 55 going on about 87 and 85. And I don't expect them to live much longer because of life of sin. But by the grace of God, go any of us. But then the, back to verse number 5 of Exodus 20. 
He's a jealous God. That's why we don't commit idolatry. He's, he visits the iniquity of the father, son, to the third and fourth generation, and his kids make their own idols and worship uh, things and other people and sports and education and money and all the rest that goes on and then ruins them and destroys them. And God says, he lands that verse, verse 5, he says, visiting the iniquity of the father, son, to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Image worshipers, uh, image, uh, image lover, lover is a God hater. Those who go contrary to his express will hate him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They hate the truth. It's interesting, but oftentimes, although idolaters love the false images of God in a picture, they hate the true image of God in a believer. Isn't that amazing how I, I have, I got to be careful, we've got 18 houses on our street. One of my houses on our street, a neighbor, I know a little bit about them, they're fairly close to us, and that's all I'll say, it's going too far again. But they have, you know, God bless America. Well, I appreciate that, that they have that in their house, but I know how they live and I know what they do. And they don't live like, they just want God to bless them regardless. And they, they, they expect God to, and they, they want God's blessing, but they hate God's people. How can you do that? You hate, you want to see an image, you don't mind a picture of God, a uh, 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 picture by uh, Raphael or by uh, Rembrandt or whatever, who have you, Monet. They don't care to have a classical 16th century, 17th century Renaissance picture. That's okay. But don't have the believer represent Christ in their own life. They don't want that. They hate that. They hate the true God of heaven. So this, we see the solemn command back to Exodus 24 and verse 4. We see the fearful fret, verse number 5. But then I want you to notice lastly and quickly, verse 6. God does not end on a negative note on this, on this commandment of prohibition. In fact, he ends on a positive note. Notice the gracious promise. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The gracious promise. What a privilege it is to be the children of, a, of, of good parents again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm so thrilled, and I, I, I overuse this phrase. I have to be careful what I say. You know, I all, we have three daughters and three sons-in-laws, and I love them all. And to one degree or another, they're all trying to raise their kids in the, for the glory of the Lord, some maybe more than others. And uh, I see the fruit already being employed. I see the, the, the investment already starting to turn to, to reap, reap dividends. Psalm Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, The just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Psalm 32, verse 10, Many shall be the sorrows of the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. I end at 6 o'clock, i got to end. I'm a pastor, I'm not an evangelist, you all know that. I don't preach out a whole lot, but I preach out some. I have to make sure I'm like 500 miles away from Connecticut. And I never pick on you, but I pick on some other folks that I know 500 or 800 miles away, they'll never know who I'm speaking about, and I never knew use names. But you know, you see a lot of things as a pastor. 
in one place for a number of years. And I've got case studies in my head over long periods of time. You know those colleges that make those, you know, a new study has been conducted over 10, 15 years at the University of Connecticut or whatever it is, and they, they find out that coffee is bad for you, and then they find out that coffee is good for you in the study 10 years. You know what I'm talking about, these studies. I got these case studies in my head, lots of them. I've seen case evidence after case evidence, case evidence, and I've seen enough to, I remember, I remember the old-fashioned geometry I learned. You know, you had the, they had the postulate, I think it was, the theorem, then the postulate, and then the proof. And so first you observe for a year, number of years, and they say, you know, and you say, preacher, get to the point. Okay, I'll get to the point. I see families. They choose to go away from the Lord. Dad says, I don't want to raise my kids. I don't want to be in church. I let my kids make their own decision what they, who they want to worship. Mom follows suit. They get out of church. Things go, seem to go seemingly well for a few months, even a year or two or what, there, what have you. But then the seeds that were sown start to germinate. And kids start to do their own thing and go their own way. And those kids get older. And I have a certain family in my mind. I have several families, actually, but one in my mind right now particularly that you'll never know about. It'll stay in the recesses of my mind. And I say... And the dad got mad. Okay, let me get a little specific. The dad got mad at Harvest Baptist Church. No, let me get real specific. The dad got mad at Marty Schott. Maybe he was justified, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. I don't think he was. I've always tried to remain friends. See him from time to time. He got put out with a decision I made. He made a decision. I'm getting out of church. When he made that decision, his wife made that decision with him. And then his kids had no decision-making process at all, and they all followed suit. And now they're older. And now they've, some have had relationships. And I'll have to fill in the rest of the blanks. And they proliferated. There's many of them. Now there's not one willfully godless person that wanted to follow the desires of his own mind and heart. But now there's a multitude of them. God hates idolatry because idolatry spreads and proliferates. And it infects like leaven, a little leaven, leaven with a whole lump. And it destroys. So God says no. And we end with what we ended up this morning. He ends that incredible first epistle of this these. These things I know, epistle, 1 John 5, or 1 John 5, 21. He ends it with these words again one more time. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then he punctuates it, amen. So be it. Hey, I respect this church. Let's keep ourselves from idols. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, the second commandment of the Decalogue is just as important and just as vibrant and just as much of a negative command as, Lord, it was when you first gave it some 3,500 years ago. Lord, it still as pertains today. Lord, we just have different idols. Lord, we make our idols out of heroes or out of hobbies or out of self-promotion, self-deification, self-worship. 
We make our idols, we make you into the God we want you to be, not the God you are. Oh, Father, all can we do is come to an altar and, Lord, humbly bow and ask forgiveness. Lord, help us, dear God. You, you warned us as your children, little children, to keep ourselves from idols. Lord, help us to be on guard, dear God. We pray that we might uh, be cleansed by your blood and, Lord, might retreat from the idol and go back to the one and only true living God and serve you and worship you, we pray. Pray blessed above us through invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. And do you have a hymn picked out, or do you want to?